Hey everybody, this is AJ and uh, it's the Unnecessary Podcast, of course. That's uh, Tash Sultana, song called Cigarettes. You should check out Tash Sultana, it's good stuff. Anyway, we'll kick it over to the phone call with Lee. But moving beyond this episode, every episode after this is going to have increased audio quality. Just the best audio quality. So be ready for, for just an uptick in the listening enjoyment. So this is our last uh, phone call technology type podcast. So enjoy it. And then, and then next time you're going to hear something oh so sweet. All right, everybody. On to the call. Hey, buddy, how's it going? It's going pretty well. I'm, uh, I'm excited for for the holiday season. Do you feel jolly this time of year? Uh, I'm more jolly when it's all over and I can resume normal life. Really? Okay, I like that take. You can't yeah, have well, I, love the holidays. Yeah, I also don't have cable, so it makes it easier. I avoid a lot of the commercials and all that kind of stuff. I see the trappings of the holidays are not really for you. Right. Yeah, I, 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 I'm less exposed to it by not having cable, so it makes it easier. Not that I, I mean, I, I'm Jewish, so I never really celebrated Christmas growing up, so that's all kind of washed over me. Um, but I just, I like my, my day-to-day routine where I don't have to worry about stuff, you know? Yeah, I hear you. I mean, that's one of the reasons I didn't like uh, New Year's Eve. I always thought it was, you know, amateur hour, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, and also, yeah, I'm like you. I don't have TV. I don't listen to the radio. So I don't get, um, I don't get the holiday music the day after Thanksgiving or the, the, the doorbuster savings this holiday season. Oh, shut up. Right, yeah. Like, I don't have any money. Don't you know that already? Right. Yeah, I'm poor. Don't you get it? I'm poor, you fuck. Spend all the yep. money on this cable. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Were you a fan of the, the Adam Sandler Hanukkah songs growing up? I mean, I, I was kind of obligated to be, and I didn't really see through the illusion. Although, I, I mean, it's still it's still a great piece of uh, pop culture Jew history. Uh, <laughs> have you, did, did you watch Adam Sandler's newest comedy special on Netflix? No. It's all songs, and it's actually really amazing. Wow, that sounds good. Yeah, it's just like, it's just live video recordings of him doing these songs at, like, different comedy specials, like, different, like, clubs or whatever throughout the country. Um, So it's just, like, all the best takes of these songs, and they're all really funny. They're all pretty short, Uh, and I just, I was very surprised, and I laughed my ass off the whole way through. Funny songs are great. I love a good funny song. Hey, I do. Uh, yeah, he, yeah, Adam Sandler always did good funny songs. You know, Weird Al is kind of the godfather, I think, of funny songs. He's definitely the godfather. Uh, but um, I, have you ever heard of Garfunkel and Oates? <laughs> no, I mean, separately I have. <laughs> yeah, it's a funny name for a band. It's these two chicks. You just, like, gave me an aneurysm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, glitch. I fucking yeah. glitched your mainframe. Yeah, it's just <laughs> these two chicks that are fucking hilarious. And yeah, they do funny songs. Garfunkel and Oates. Nice. Yeah, so and like Tenacious D, of course. 
Oh, yeah, they're totally like the female Tenacious D. Oh, nice. Tenacious D is great. Now, I always enjoyed The Pick of Destiny, which is Tenacious D's ridiculous movie. Yep. But do you do you remember staying up late night in college and watching, like, the Comedy Central series that they had? Oh, yeah, it was great. Them and um, Flight of the Concords was another great one. Yes, that was another good, funny song. They went, oh, dude, Business Time is, like, one of the classics. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, also, uh, Jermaine, or whatever his name is, the, one of the dudes. He, yeah, Jermaine. Uh, yeah. He is, he's in Moana, and he does the, because I'm shiny song, which yep. I fucking love. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's awesome. He also voiced the character in Rick and Morty. Um, he voiced the interdimensional oh, yeah. fart in Rick and Morty. Yeah, yeah. yeah I remember that. Yeah, um, yeah, he's got he a great also, voice. He also was the bad guy in Men in Black 3. I don't know if I ever saw Men in Black 3. Yeah, no music in that one. No bangers, like I'm shiny. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Men in Black 3 was cool because, first of all, the third movie of a of a set is usually not that great. So anytime it's decent, it's like you've, you've outshot, oh, you've outshot your coverage. Um, but this one is cool because Will Smith has to go back in time to mm-hmm. stop to the, the wild, wild, wild. With the wild, wild. To the, <laughs> yes. To the, the historically accurate steampunk West, <laughs> we all remember it. Um, but no, he uh, he goes back in time, and so Tommy Lee he has to like get together with a young Tommy Lee Jones who doesn't know who he is, who doesn't know who Will Smith is, obviously. And uh, the person playing young Tommy Lee Jones is Josh Brolin. And, oh yeah, I know him. Uh, he's fucking hilarious. They they put makeup on him to make him look young make him look like he's like 30 or something but Will Smith jokes like how old are you like you look so old and uh, <laughs> but he he fucking does this great Tommy Lee Jones um, he in, evokes the energy of Tommy Lee Jones so perfectly it's really funny oh, that's awesome and this is a guy who also played George W. Bush Josh Brolin right yeah he was also in the Goonies I believe was he in the Goonies? Was that was him in the Goonies? Yeah, yeah, that was him. Oh, he was one of those. Oh, one of those. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And then his father, James Bolin, is I in I don't remember what. <laughs> is he really an actor? Yeah, yeah, no, totally. James Bolin is. He looks like just an older, like twenty or thirty years older, and he's he's a famous actor. He was in a bunch of old shit, and then he I think he also still works. Like he's on some TV show that's been around a while. Like Kirk like Douglas? Like what? Like Kirk Douglas? Michael Douglas' yeah. dad? It's exactly like that because, yeah, and also I'm pretty sure Josh Brolin's dad, I mean mom, James Brolin's wife was like somebody famous too. One of those deals. Damn. Yes, indeed. They got the Illuminati uh, all up in there. Oh, so much blood, blood rituals. Yep. <laughs> Um, I was reading this article on The Ringer, which is a website I like, which is about sports and pop culture. And, but they had this article about how the, the alt-right um, and, and its relationship with the occult. And this article talked a lot about how Nazis were obsessed with the occult. And this 
writer thought that growing up seeing movies like Indiana Jones and ha- making the connections between Nazi and the cult, we always thought that was like um, dramatized and, and exa- exaggerated. But this person was like, as I researched it, it was not, it kind of wasn't exaggerated enough. Like these people, like, because believing that Jews were the cause of your problems goes hand in hand with conspiracy thinking, which goes hand in hand with like, the idea that the Aryan race was superior in some weird genetic way, which go, went hand in hand with like these alien theories, and and they were obsessed with Shangri La, and all this weird shit. Fucked up, bro. Yeah, that was that was the uh, the part of the plot of Hellboy. I don't know if you ever saw that. Yes, yes, of course, I love Hellboy. And that's yeah, that was how the, the Nazis brought him through like the portal or whatever. That was the entire whole plot of Hellboy, and isn't it? And and then in in X Men, or no, not in X Men, um, in Captain America, the right don't the not like the Hydra. Hydra is kind of like the the subset of the Nazis. I actually never saw Captain America. Yeah, so they also have a, a an occult Nazi subculture that is actually running the Nazis. Um, and they're like aliens or whatever. So yeah, like the the Hellboy and the current pop cultures tuned into it. Same with Indiana Jones, and um, but it's definitely a real thing. And I think it's like people who feel powerless and people who are in like dire economic situations are just yeah. If you feel powerless financially or politically, um, I think you're more and and if you if you feel like your vote doesn't count, I think you're much more likely to believe in this stuff just psychologically like it feels good to believe in a conspiracy theory because it's like, well, this is what's really controlling everything and therefore and and because of this, you know, I'm I'm really powerless. It explains a lot. I don't know. Thoughts. And just that that information makes them feel like they have power, like they're in on some like secret that oh, yeah. most people don't know about. Yeah, great point. Right, right. It feels empowering to, to be in the know like that. Yep. Flat Earth, bro. Right. Did you ever get down with any of those conspiracies? Um, I mean, I've definitely researched a lot about a lot of them. Um, but, I mean, there aren't a huge amount of conspiracies that I'm really into. Um, I think that Probably we are in contact with aliens. It just, I, I mean, from what I've seen, it looks like that we already are. And there's, like, a lot of cover-ups and stuff. Um, but, who, but who knows? You know, it's all conjecture, obviously. I mean, it would make but. so much sense, like, if they came out and said that, like, yeah, we've been in contact with aliens. It's like, yeah, that, that doesn't really surprise me, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, there's, um, there's an insane video of... Um, the ex the ex defense minister of Canada. Um, this was like maybe in like 2007 or 2008. He held a press conference with a bunch of other high up people, and basically said like we've been in contact with multiple races of aliens for over 50 years, and like we need to disclose this information. It's just like it's online. You can look it up on YouTube. Just like a press conference that he held. The ex defense minister of Canada, and just saying. I'm totally writing this down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's real crazy. I showed it to my dad, and my dad was like, "Well, that's weird." <laughs> what a great reaction. Yeah, he's like, huh. Well, I guess your 
that's a fucking alien. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Interesting. Neat, glorp, glorp. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I remember, like, when everything in Roswell happened, and then, like, the next few years after that, we advanced technologically by a rate of, like, a thousand times faster than in all of human history. Just interesting stuff. And was Roswell 1947? Uh, yeah, something like that. I wonder if, like, we dropped the bomb, and they were like, all right, they've gone, they understand, like, nuclear reactors, because I feel like that's, that might be technology that would lead to interstellar travel. Maybe they, like, see that as, like, okay, they've reached this next level with these bombs that they've dropped. But, like, I could, we could see where this is going. <laughs> this, is, this is not a path we'd like to continue. Yeah, and there's also a, there's a, a, a crazy account of um, at a military base. I forget where and I forget when, like a, definitely a couple decades ago. Um, but there was an account from like 15 or 20 of the guys that worked there, and there, were, there was a, a facility to hold nuclear weapons. And they said that they all they all said the exact same thing that they saw like this this craft come overhead with like a light and go above the nuclear weapon storage and like shine a beam down. Um, and left, like, all sorts of evidence that it was there, like marks on the ground and stuff like that, and then um, shined the beam down on all the nuclear weapons and left, and then when they went to check out the nuclear weapons, they had all been deactivated. Oh, what? Yeah, true story. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It was all, it, like, it was corroborated by every single person who was there and saw it at a military base. Yeah, so, like, pretty weird. Yeah, seriously. There's also a theory that if you go faster than the speed of light, I think we've talked about this, that you go, like, beyond, like, our visual, like, um, what we can, like, see and perceive, and you see, like, the actual fabric of the universe and, like, all the other, like, interstellar beings, and there's, like, a war going on and, like, cosmic space and all this stuff. Little elves. Little green elves, dude. Yeah. Who knows, man? Elves, rather. Green cool. <laughs> Um, yeah, that sounds very Christian. Uh, that's definitely a hypothesis I thought about. Like, man, what if there's, like, just this hidden veil, this, like, other energetic layer or dimension where this holy war is going on, if you could call it that, and it's bled over into the physical plane, like it's come down here because whoever the losing side was realized it couldn't win on that plane or something. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's, how could there not be aliens, and how could they not be concerned? And also, I don't know, I used to think that, like, a hypothetical alien race that would be more evolved than us would also have to be more, um, more emotionally and spiritually and, and, like, tactically evolved, like, they'd be able to solve problems better, um, kind of, like, with faster brain power, essentially, and and so I think that I used to think that they would be more altruistic because I I think that cooperative thinking is more advanced than competitive thinking, and I think that's buried out in nature. Although there might be just conflicting evidence where like sometimes there's competition, sometimes there's cooperation. That's just how biology on this planet has gone. But I really right. feel like that in my heart I believe that and believe comes from the Latin word leaf, which means wish, which I learned from Alan Watts. So I believe um, that 
would be more advanced and more cooperative in that regard. But maybe they're just like us, and what we do is more powerful people exploit less powerful people, um, like what, what we would do to China to build our middle class or what China is trying to do to Africa to build their middle class. Um, you know, just kind of hoard resources and, and, and keep power concentrated. So maybe aliens would try to colonize us or drain us for resources, or maybe they'd be more cooperative. Obviously, the latter would be nice. Yeah, I mean, or maybe they'll just evolve beyond physical life into synthetic life, and they'll just be super hyper-self-aware robots who can think a billion times faster than us and produce things a billion times faster. Yeah, we've probably talked on the pod about the movie Her. Yep, Joaquin Phoenix. Have you ever seen it? Oh, yeah, great movie. I love that movie so much. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. And so I think that's kind of like that. Like, we created AIs, and Scarlett Johansson's character, spoiler alert, at the end is like, I can't be on this plane with you anymore. Like, just being with you, being with you is so slow. That's <laughs> like what she, right? Wasn't that her conclusion? She's like, I just can't be with you. You're a fucking rock, you know? Yeah, she was like, um, he, he, one time he asked her, how many other, like, people are you talking to right now, or how many other uh, right. guys are you talking to? And she was like, uh, like, 9,842. Yeah. Yeah, like, at the like same time that relationship with a tree. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, pretty much. Good shit. What a great, great... Watch Tree Phoenix. Watch Yeah. <laughs> Also, another child actor like Josh Brolin who turned out okay. Yeah, and his his brother River Phoenix turned out oh oh. Yeah, he didn't. Yeah, didn't go so well. Yeah, yeah, the old Viper Room, I believe. Something like that. That was the famous club, I think, in L.A. The Viper Room. Yeah. Um, too many yeah. too many pedophiles. So I put for I put, <laughs> I put her in the same category. I'm gonna go back to your pedophile comment later. Because I actually okay. want to get to, we did talk about that last week. <laughs> we had some heavy hitting last week. Heavy hitters we really last got, time. We really got into that on the last pod. But, um, no, I, I, I put her in this, for some reason I put it in the same category as Arrival, which we've talked about plenty on this podcast. Which I also yeah, I was, I was thinking that that was going to be the movie that you put it in the same category as, and I was correct. Well, funny. And now, did you see Annihilation this year or no? Um, no. It's what like is that? Arrival. It's like Arrival. Strange alien thing lands on the planet. we got to go investigate, which is cool. Okay. Um, this one's based on a novel. I don't know if Arrival was, but this one's based on a novel that people love. But it's essentially this weird membrane, this, like, weirdly colored, it looks like a giant bubble that has encapsulated this, like, peninsula uh, in, in the corner of the U.S. or whatever, and a lighthouse. And um, it's just such a fantastic movie. And the other Scarlett Johansson's in it, um, what's her name? Natalie Portman. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, by the title of the movie, I'm going to say it didn't go well. Um, actually, but don't tell me, because I, I might see it. Oh, my God. It's so it's one of these movies, and I was talking to somebody about live theater that's like this. Sometimes um, a, a, a piece of art is better to think about and talk about afterwards than the actual experience during. You know what I mean? Right. Right. This yeah. is, I think, one of those movies because I realized that um, 
the way to beat this weird foreign biological organism was to to introduce it to the the worst aspects of our humanity, like to introduce it to self destruction essentially. Um, but I don't think I'm giving. I think you're going to be just confused. You're probably going to forget this by the time you watch the movie. So I don't think I'm giving away too much. But yeah, so I, I would watch it, and you should get on the pod and talk about it. It's not as good as Arrival. I don't think. Okay. Yeah, I've watched Arrival twice, and both times it was it was awesome. Mm-hmm. First time was just was just life changing. I was just sitting there with my mouth open, like, what am I seeing right now? It really is. Yeah, it's totally life changing, and. Um, God, we've we've really talked about this movie enough. So yeah, I agree. Uh, another movie we've yeah. probably talked about enough is I've seen. I now have seen Black Panther five times. I saw it last night. Still haven't seen it. Oh, it's on Netflix. Nah. Yeah, yeah. I'm just. I'm not big on the superhero movies. Um, think of this as so. There's like, dude. There's scenes like there's a good stretch of this movie where you feel like it's a James Bond movie. Um, okay. There's, there's like a good stretch where it's um, it's like a war movie. I don't know. It's, it's like games of Game of Thrones esque, kind of mm-hmm. like tribal politics. I do like Game of Thrones. Yeah, there's like there's like a politics. It's like heavy in politics, which I like a lot. Right. Um, like 45 yeah, minutes I, is like C-SPAN. Like they're all sitting in fucking Congress. <laughs> It's like an God, damn, this is boring. Yeah. No, it's not. Yeah, it's, they got to get a quorum. We're going to take a bathroom break right now for 15 minutes. Well, what they do is, like, it's it's this old African country that, that has this advanced technology, but they've remained isolated from the world and kept the technology a secret. And so many of their politics and many of, like, their social interactions are, like, traditional, and they did painstaking research to make it not an exploitation film. They didn't want it to be cheesy, fake African shit, even though it's a fake African country. They made the the accents, the clothing, the hairstyles, the weapons, they made it like real African shit. Like, when you hear, like, singing or chanting in the background, like, they went to, like, Benin and to some, or Togo, to some, like, tribe to get, like, these women recorded doing this dance or whatever, like, they went deep with it, and so you can, like, you can watch the movie fully appreciating, like, this is so intensely researched, unlike any other superhero movie. It's Um, like alternate history. Yeah, it's totally an alternate presence. It's so, that's why it's so good. And then, like, some of the people are more traditional, some of them are more modern, and it's this, that's a big topic of conversation, and, like, talks of, like, whether, of, like, colonialism and imperialism and helping people versus versus being authoritarian over people versus being an isolationist. Um, also, the women throughout the movie constantly tell the king what to do, and he keeps ignoring them until the end. Like, <clears throat> there's a funny, it's a subplot I didn't realize until five, four viewings in, where, like, the women are like, you should do this. And he's like, ah, I really don't know. And then, like, a bunch of bad shit happens, and he's like, I've decided I'm going to do this. <laughs> and like it's not and it's really not ham-handed it's everything is very natural and um michael b jordan is like super shredded up ex-military villain dude and he has a good backstory so yeah hmm 
right. watch it on Netflix, dude, and then we got to talk about it because I've seen it five fucking times. It's like my favorite movie of the past year. Yeah, I think that I was a little, I was a little destroyed by like the Avengers. I just, I just find that those movies to be unwatchable. I think that they're so cheesy that I just can't. I just, I find no joy in it. I just don't know. I don't know. I, I don't. I try not to hate on people who like it. Like I tried to watch the Avengers, and I was like, "This is the cheesiest." Like for kids, it's like for kids. And there's like, I don't know. I don't know. What, what are your? Do you like those movies? It is. They are so. I'm, I'm not trying to hate on them. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I can't get. Them. I like them, but they're so cheesy. Yeah. <laughs> they are cheeseball fucking city, my 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 guy. Yeah, and I'm like, if that's what you're looking for, like, that's fine. But, like, I have friends, like, you tell me, like, dude, like, when Iron Man was, like, playing Thor, like, that was the most, like, badass fight scene. I'm just like, mm, I don't know about that. And that's what's funny. Yeah, the fight scenes are my least favorite thing about about the whole deal. Um, yeah. Like, even in Black Panther, that's my least favorite part. Even though the the woman who has, like, a traditional personality and hairstyle uses traditional weapons and the woman who's modern and, like, does more modern shit. She never uses – she uses, like, her shoes and, like, uses whatever's around her because she's, like, a spy. Anyway. Um, yeah. It's well thought out, but the fight scenes themselves, I don't give a shit about. And they're not even that great. They're all CGI'd up. And, yeah. Right, right, characters yeah. You don't, characters you don't care about. Like, the villain is always some alien who just wants to, like, terraform the Earth for some reason to, like, make <laughs> it more like their homeland. Like, that's every villain. Yeah. Let's put the living room over here. <laughs> I just want to rearrange. Yep. Um, so I, I, you mentioned pedophiles going back. They're people who love feet, I think it means. People who love feet. Oh, that pe- yeah, pe- 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 pedio, piedo, pedophiles. Pedestriophiles. <laughs> um, that's what you yeah, pedo. I, whenever I see ped crossing, I always like oh, just put an O there. Pedo crossing, hee hee. Yeah, um, don't cross. So you've heard of Pizzagate? Yes. Have you heard of Pizza? Okay, so yeah, that's the famous conspiracy theory uh, that was around right wing circles about about sex traffic rings, child sex traffic rings around the Democratic Party and Hillary Clinton, um, and. So this goes along to what I was saying before about the Nazis and the occult, like, and conspiracy theories. Like, people believe that, like, the Jews run Hollywood or the media or banking and um, and that they're fucking kids in ritual sacrifice and, and stuff like this. Um, and to be honest, it could be true. I don't know. But I think it's... If it's true, that's awful, but I think that if it's not true, it's like an intentional distraction um, or an unintentional distraction. It's just a distraction from, like, yes, there are people who have power who are keeping it from you, but, like, calling people kid fuckers is not the way to get your power back. <laughs> like, but, they're de- but there definitely are kid fuckers. There definitely are. It's it's just I don't know if it's systematic and related to power structures. It could be. I mean, yeah. well, I mean, well, I mean think about it. Think about it. There's a percentage of the population that are pedophiles. You know what I mean? They are attracted to to children. They don't have a choice. It's just the way that their brain is. They're just attracted to children. So that means that there's a percentage of those people 
who are successful, wealthy, you know, in any sector okay. of life, whether it's okay. politics or business. You know what okay. I mean? So I'm getting let's say you're a pedophile who's made hundreds of millions of dollars through, you know, working in finance or whatever. Oh. What are you going to do? You know what I mean? Like, how okay. easy is it going to – exactly. So, like, you're going to – so it's just, you know. I yeah. see. So it's a self – it's not a causation or, or it's just a correlation. Like, the rich people can get away with kid fucking. Therefore, the rich pedophiles fuck kids, and the poor ones yes. um, go to get away. Okay, okay, okay. I mean, the super rich can get away with 98%, you know, of whatever they want to get away with. So if you have the, if you have the type of personality where you can work yourself so hard and forego anything else in life but making money to make that kind of money, you're probably going to be a little fucked up. You know, well, if you're well, one of those yeah, super, you can just, super people, right? I, well, I don't think that being rich makes you more likely to 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 want to fuck kids, but maybe being rich makes you more likely to be able to do it and to yeah, be and, to and be a part of the having a per- yeah. and, and just having the personality and the drive. You know what I mean? You have to be a little sociopathic to make a hundred million dollars, right? So what I'm thinking is it's not just rich people, because 40 years ago, if you said that Catholic priests were fucking kids and, and covering it up, we would call that a conspiracy theory. We would say, you're fucking nuts. And then, like, clearly that happened. And yep. And a story. I don't think, and so this is actually, you know, I know you love Joe Rogan. I don't quote him too much. But there, he, t- he talked about this during one podcast where he's like, the priests used to be able to fuck ticks. And the priests were like the pips. They were getting all the ass because if you wanted to get into heaven, you got to get in good with the priest. And if the priest wants to fuck you, you fuck the priest. And so, <laughs> like, what happened was the laws changed. I don't know how, but, like, sometime in the Middle Ages, Catholic priests stopped being able to have wives or to have sex with women. And just like how straight dudes go to prison and fuck dudes, I think, like, people with a lot of testosterone um, who are not allowed to have sex in healthy ways end up, like, being fucked up. And, and I maybe like being gay in prison, maybe it's like they can't have sex with chicks so they start diddling kids. What do you think? Yeah, makes total sense. You know, like, I just need to fuck something. And you know, I'm not a dude with a ton of testosterone. I've never felt like I had a ton of testosterone in me compared to others. You know when you see a dude who's just, like, Rate charged up with testosterone. You look at him, you're like, yeah, in prison, I could totally see that dude like fucking dudes. You know? Yeah, you can like feel feel the fucking vibes and like energy coming off of those people. It makes me uncomfortable. And he poured in a storm, right? And what do you say? Uh, any, I said, any port in a storm. What does that mean? It's an old shipping, It's an old sailor's term, meaning when the weather's bad in a storm, you find any port you can go into. And so, in this case, prison would be the storm, and the port would be a dude's asshole. Okay. Any port in the storm. <laughs> but, um, and I think, like, Adam Carolla, who I don't listen to anymore, he always had a funny saying where he's like, he thinks at some point, you're so straight that you're gay. <laughs> <laughs> like, you it's know? like the, the, the scale flips over. Well, yeah, he said it's like circumnavigating the globe. Sometimes you go so far east, you end up west. 
<laughs> yeah, like the, the pole shift. Yeah, because he's like, you ever, you know, like the jockest, the, the biggest jocks, the most masculine jock dudes were like, oh, yeah, fuck it, I'm, I'll shower with a dude, I'll walk around naked, like, fuck it. Like, I'm a, like, you're so secure with your masculinity and you're so masculine. It's like, fuck, I'll suck a dick, that's how much of a man I am. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't even care. Dude, I think a guy who takes a dick in the ass is more man than me. <laughs> <laughs> and they can keep... I mean, what a champ, you know? What a, what a, yeah. what a champ. Take him on uh, for some kind of team. It's more than, more than I can say myself. Yeah, yeah you right. So, uh, what else is new? Well, I just, uh, I just watched The Big Lebowski before I came here. <laughs> the man in me will do. <laughs> Such a great movie. And now I'm actually wearing a robe in the car. <laughs> Very dude-esque. Um, I watched this great podcast called The Rewatchables. Uh, it's from The Ringer, which I mentioned before, their network. And they, The Rewatchables talks about great recent movies. So they, they went over Lebowski. And, yeah, what a pleasure. A great movie. Is that your favorite Coen Brothers movie? Um, it's definitely really great. I mean, every scene is funny. The John Goodman's amazing. And Steve Buscemi's amazing can't really complain. Yeah, there's so many different storylines going on at once. Mm-hmm. What's your What's your favorite part of the movie? Not necessarily like what scene or what plot. It could be. But do you have like a favorite dynamic or feel or vibe or, or scene from the movie? Um, I really love um, the the big Lebowski's uh, right-hand guy. What, how was his name? Um Oh, he actually, he died of an overdose uh, a few years back. Um, what in the hell is his name? Now i got to look it up. Oh you, oh, 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 you mean Philip Seymour Hoffman. You mean Kirk Yeah, Kirk Philip Seymour Hoffman, yeah. We need your help, dude. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> when, when, when Bonnie Lebowski is like, I'll suck your dick for $100, he can watch. And he's like, <laughs> that laugh yeah. That is great. And, like, he flares his nostrils as he's laughing. Yeah. And, like, everything he does is genius. Like, every little move is perfect. The way he opens the door to let the dude in to see Lebowski, the way he, like, dramatically opens the double doors. Oh, man. Yeah, Yeah, he's so good. (laughs) Yeah. Um the little Lebowski urban achievers. Yeah. Yeah, that's a yeah, it's such a great movie. It's like the first time I saw it when I was, you know, sixteen and eighty percent of it is just goes over my head, you know. I really love how the whole movie is like an acid trip. Or or like a dude who's done a lot of acid. Like it's a real microcosm or macrocosm for the dude. The whole movie shares his vibe where he's in this dream like state um, but I love how in the beginning he he sees George W H W Bush on TV saying this aggression will not stand, and then later in the movie he's like this aggression will not stand, man. Like yeah. he, he like, and I don't think he's consciously like I think he sees something, he absorbs something in his world, and it gets processed and it gets spit out in like a different scenario, and I think it really tied the room together was like that. Um, but 
and, and like the picture of Nixon on the back, like it's just very, it's all very dreamlike and trippy. And it's really, yeah, I think, like, like, like droning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good shit. Yeah, yeah, great movie. And I'm all about, I'm all about the robe. I mean, even before I watched that movie just now, I, I got a robe probably like a year ago, and I wear it all the time. I still, I'll still sometimes do the dance that, that his landlord, the dude's landlord, he's like, can you come? Oh to my, my god, the in, the interpretive <laughs> dance. <laughs> the weird like stick figure march that he does is like the <laughs> thing ever. Yeah, that's really amazing. <laughs> Apparently, they put that. They had to like shoehorn that scene in. Jackie, they had to treehorn that scene in, um, just to, so that the dude and John Goodman could have like this weird dialogue. I forget, like before they go to whatever's house. I also love about that movie. You'll forget a whole scene, like when he's with the police, the chief of police of Malibu. Like that's like a ridiculous scene. And he throws the coffee mug right at his face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the beach party, like, there's so many just weird as fuck things that you almost forget, and then you see it again, you're like, oh, my God, this is so weird. Yeah, there's so many scenes. There's so many different scenes. It's staggering. Mm. <laughs> Jackie Treehorn. <laughs> yeah. And he... He's out, he takes the phone call, and then he leaves, and the dude runs up and uses the, the pencil to, like, scan the piece of paper, just like a, mm-hmm. a, a drawing of a guy with a huge dick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't remember that. Yeah. Okay, so there's, there's a movie that I – that reminds me, like, similar to Her and Arrival. There's another movie that I feel like shares the same vibe as this movie, but it's – uh, maybe it doesn't show. I don't know why I'm, I connect these two movies, but can you guess? Is it Bill and Ted's Bill and Ted's Excellent <laughs> No, but that's a good guess because that's based in L.A. So it's a yeah, you're right. Pasadena, right, or whatever. Yep. Or San yeah, Dinas. yeah. San Dimas. <laughs> um, San Dimas. <laughs> what a great movie. No, it's not that, but similar. I was thinking of Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights. It's Boogie Nights is really bitter, bittersweet. It's very melancholy and it's sad at the end. But I don't know, just I feel like the L.A. like hanging out by the pool, doing weird drugs with weird porn people. It's it's the porn connection, really. It's because like the Big Lebowski has this super weird porn subplot. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, it's Jackie Treehorn, isn't it? There's like an ex- yeah, there's like an extensive porn subplot because Jackie Treehorn. Is related to Dinakaba. Uh, you can imagine where it goes from here. Like, I'm here to fix the cable. And, and, and Maz Lebowski goes, you can see where it goes from here. Or you can <laughs> imagine where it goes from here. And the dude goes, he fixes the cable? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so, like, the, the nihilists are connected to Jackie Treehorn, who are connected to um, uh, the daughter Lebowski, um, What's her name? And and so like it's like it's it's weird because the movie has no plot. That's the other. It's very dreamlike. And so the only thing stringing all this together is like pornography. Yeah, they're nihilists, Tommy. They're cowards. <laughs> and like he's he's out of work. Like everybody's out of work. Nobody works. <laughs> and 
that's like a big LA thing that comes through. Yeah, it wasn't one of the nihilists. What was? What about the nihilists? What wasn't Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers nihilist? <laughs> Flea was one of the nihilists. That's right. I, yeah, I think he was. Yeah. Yeah. I love the scene, the, the acid flashback, where it's like the Nihilists are running at him with the giant scissors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is just, we're now just, like, recapping the whole movie. And, oh, it's such a it's such a gem. Yeah, it's so good. So I've always loved the Coen brothers. I've always liked Paul Thomas Anderson, like I said, Boogie Nights. Um, I've always loved Wes Anderson, but I've, I'm growing some huge critiques of him. Do you like Wes Anderson movies? Um, well, what are his big movies off the top of your head? You uh, uh, Rushmore and Royal Tenenbaums and Steve Zissou and Grand Budapest Hotel. Isle of Dogs. Fantastic mm. Mr. Fox. I've actually never seen any of these movies. Oh, okay. They're described as precious. They're quite often described as precious movies or like adorable or cute um but it's all about like a son who felt like they didn't get enough of their father's love and it's always quirky and funny but there's always like weird daddy issues but also like minorities are always either background characters or silent or the slight antagonist with no no depth to them i didn't notice that until i watched like a youtube recap of of all of his movies are like that. I'm like, oh man, that's, that's weird. That's one dimensional. Yeah. But it's because he's like a white I guess it's just his, it's just like his experience. Exactly. Like he's, it's his lens. And so that's really interesting. Like I think that's super, that's I think why I liked it. It was such a unique perspective, his movies, because it's uniquely him. But it's like we have, we have a lot of those voices or we have had, um, he's just really good at it. Um, right. But it's like a voice we've heard a lot of, so it's like, yeah, we should keep him and then also add some other voices. So it's not, like, awful, awful, but it's just, like, really, you could see, like, his blind spots. Like, he's just a 50-year-old man who's, like, that's his own, you know? Yeah, he knows what he knows, and that's it. Here's a movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here's a movie. What the fuck do you want? Here's a movie. Yeah, here's my movie. What do you want? Um, okay, so earlier you were talking about aliens. We were talking about aliens? I'm sure we were at some point. I'm an alien. <laughs> um, <laughs> My name is Glipflop. Glipflop. I was watching this YouTube video about why 4K video is pointless. Essentially, unless you have like a 90-foot screen, or if you want to zoom right. in and clip at the same resolution. But essentially, 4K... He was saying, like, this dude was saying, like, 4K is useless, and it mostly has to do with frame rates. So he started getting into frame rates. Um, like, like film that we watch is, like, 24 frames per second. And so 24 flat pictures run, scroll by really quickly and forms a moving image, a moving picture. Um, and so I always thought that that meant that, like, our eyes saw at 24 frames per second, but that's not true. And But this guy started talking about our frame rates, like what our eyes can see. And I think it was something like, 
like a normal average awareness level for a person might be like 60 or 70 frames per second. But if you are really aware, if you've had a lot of coffee or if you're like ready to go or, or if you're a super athlete, you might be up to like 100 or something. Blowing lines, blowing lines of coke. Yeah, if you're, well, they said if you're on cocaine or a super athlete or something, like it can get up to 120. Like 120, 130 is like kind of the upper limit for That's human frame rate insane. recognition. Yeah. So if something moves faster than 200 frames per second, if something can get in and out of your field of vision faster than one out of every 100 frames per second, then that means things could be fucking whizzing by and living in our space, and we wouldn't even know it. And that freaks me out. Yeah, that's like the whole faster than the speed of light thing. Yes. Yeah. yeah, totally. Okay, now you said you don't like superhero movies. Do you like the X-Men movies? Because those, those can be good. Yeah, I thought um, Logan was really good. Ah, yes, Logan. It's one I haven't seen. A real one I haven't oh. seen. That was uh, that was that was pretty fantastic. That was that was really good. I really like Deadpool. That was really well done. Yeah, Deadpool's good. Very yeah, um, yeah. The uh, the original X Men movies. I mean, I was so much younger when they first came out. Um, so I think a lot of it has to do with just me getting older and just being like, this is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I understand. It is stupid. But also just like the the corniness of it, I just I, I like the grittier end of it, which I which is why I liked Logan. Um, that was pretty gritty. Um, yeah, yeah, Logan, I, I highly recommend it if you haven't seen it. Yeah, I'm definitely I definitely gotta watch it because I love these kinds of movies and that's a good one and I like the Wolverine story anyway. So yeah. Um. And any time, if you watch any of the X-Men where they go, like, back in time or when they're set in the past, there's one kid who uh, runs really fast, and that's that's a fun X-Men character. Cause he runs oh, yeah, fast. I, think his, okay. I think his name's Quickie. Quickie. <laughs> he, <laughs> man, he comes so quickly, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he runs a thousand miles an hour, but he can't hold a nut to save his life. No. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That reverse time travel is tricky. Reverse time travel is time travel in general is weird. I haven't seen um, Interstellar yet, but I hear that that's like Matthew McConaughey like goes back and sees his daughter who's an old lady or something. Yeah, yeah. Interstellar was pretty good. Um, it got a little weird and like a little like I don't really think the writers know how they're ending this correctly. But for the most part, it was uh, it was pretty good. Mm-hmm. I think the, the yeah. crazy thing about like history is the crazy thing about history is that we just take it for granted. Like it could have gone an infinite an infinite number of ways, but it went the way that it went. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. True. Did you see The Martian with Matt Damon? I have not heard good things though. Oh, so good! I saw it for the first time. Yeah, maybe a week ago. Really good. And then, like, Ben Affleck is like, hey, can I come? And Matt Damon's like, no. <laughs> no, you stay in Boston. <laughs> yeah, you stay, uh, you stay in Boston, buddy. Good luck with Batman. Yeah, but The Town is such a good movie. Did you see The Town, Ben Affleck's directorial debut? Uh, no, I did not. Woo-wee! You got, if you like, so my favorite genre, hands down, is a heist movie. 
Okay. And so if you like if you like bank robbery movies, action movies, crime movies, heist movies, this is for you. I prefer like Vietnamese fart porn. <laughs> Whoa, that is <laughs> way too mainstream. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you're if you're in the mood for that on a Tuesday, but yeah, I I, uh, I wouldn't recommend the town. <laughs> right, that's too extreme. No, it's pretty good the town. Um, John Hamm is in it. He's good, handsome Ham. Is that the one by M Night Shyamalan? The town? No, no, that was the village. Oh, the village. Yeah, so the town is directed by Ben Affleck, and it's just like a. We're badasses who rob banks kind of movie. And do they wear masks at one point? They, I think they do wear masks. Um, but yeah, like president uh, masks or like clown masks or something like that. Yeah, I don't remember which mask they wear. I, that, yeah, I think I love. I think I can't dude, these are the elements I love in a heist movie. Like, what fucking masks are there? That's why, like, at the beginning of uh, the Dark Knight. Dark so they're, all yep. clown, they're all wearing clown masks, and one shoots the other. Oh, that was a great scene. Great, great. Amazing. Great, amazing, yeah. And so the, the, the elements of the heist movie are things I love. The, the plant, like the origin story scene, like the scene where the, you get the gang together, that I love. Um, yep. The scene, the scene where they, they talk about the heist, I love. The scene where they talk about the problems with the heist, I love. The scenes where you think that they're going one way and then they misdirect the audience, that I always love. And it's like, oh, pretty, you know, there's there's certain beats that they're always going to hit. And I just love that. And because, like, some people like zombie movies, for example, and they what something they love about zombie movies, if you like that, is you like the, the lab scene with the lab coat where they explain the fucking virus. And you like the scene where, no, don't go upstairs. And, like, there's certain things that every harm, every movie of that type do, but you still like it, you know? Right, like Exorcist movies where, like, you know what's going to happen, but, like, I want to see it get fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I enjoy, like, those possession Exorcist kind of movies like that. It's, like, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, they're, I think they're pretty good. I do like those shits. You you ever have any weird, paranormal, demonic, uh, like, uh, interactions? Nah, I'd like to. I'm always like, come on, do some, but not too scary. Yeah. (laughs) I think my energy is way too, like, I'm, like, way too on this plane. Like, ah. I have too hard to grip on reality. Do I smoke so much weed? I actually had two really bad ones. Um Yeah, really, it was really crazy. Um, I was at, so the first time it happened, I was at um, Anthony's house, the other guy in uh, in my band, Timer Last, who runs the three civil with me. Um, but I've um, I stayed at his parents' house hundreds of times over the last nine or ten years that we've been uh, doing the band together. And I always sleep in the basement. He has a really, really nice finished basement. Um, we actually used to sell basements for Owens Corning. They're like $50,000 refinished basements that look like a room in a mansion. Really awesome. So his, his dad was like a, a wholesaler for them, so he got it at cost. So, you know, he saved 50% off the cost of this crazy basement. So I always sleep down there. It's real nice. It's got a fireplace. Anyway. That's so, a spooky deal. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spooky. So it's like, 
maybe it's like three, three in the morning. Um, his parents are asleep. He's upstairs oh, asleep. the witching hour, by the way. Do you know yeah. the witching hour? Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's like three in the morning. I'm uh, coming out of the bathroom to go back down into the basement. It's pitch black, um, but I know my way through there because I've been there so many times. And in the pitch blackness, directly in front of me, stopping right in my tracks is just this black shadow silhouette of just like a person. Um, not a very sharp outline, very like um, rounded around like the head, like uh, the limbs and stuff like that, but very clearly a figure, hominid figure directly in front of me. Um, and I stood there for probably, you know, three to five seconds just standing there just in terror, and then it just jumped through me. And for for the next, like, five hours, I just felt this, such an intense feeling of dread and fear and just death and just feeling like I was going to die or someone around me was going to die, just the most horrible feeling for five hours, unrelenting for the next five hours straight until, like, the sun came up and everybody woke up. And I just, I, I just sat I went right back into the basement, and I just sat down there with the light on for five hours, just feeling like that. Um, so that was the first, yeah, that was the first time it happened. And I don't, I don't necessarily believe in any of this stuff. Not that it's a matter of belief. Just I've never really, I, I've seen, I've had like ghost experiences, but nothing of like in, where I felt like physically in danger. Mm -hmm. um, but I felt physically in danger, like when that happened. Um, and it was it was real crazy. Never experienced anything like that until probably two months later. Um, and in those in the time between the, that happening and the next time it happened, um, this really crazy thing with numbers kept happening. Where I kept seeing um, I think it was ones and eights. And I actually documented it all and sent it to my friend um, Chelsea, who lives in Colorado, and she's in all that kind of stuff. But I would send her pictures from, like, the gas pump where, like, my total would be, like, 1881, and I pumped, like, 8.18 8 gallons. And, like, so, like, so it's just, like, weird stuff. That's a lot of gallons. But just, like, weird stuff like that. Um, I'd go to, like, the grocery store, and my total would be, like, 1818. Mm -hmm. And I'd have, like, 18 items. And, like, numbers would call me, and I'd have, like, ones and eights. And I know it's all, you know, you see what you're primed to see. But it was just a lot of different a lot of different situations, those numbers coming up. So I, like, would take pictures and sent them all to her. Um, and then after a couple months of that happening, I was in my kitchen of my old apartment. And Angel was sleeping in the bed, and I was sitting in the kitchen. Um, the lights were real low, and I was just on my laptop. And all of a sudden, I just started getting that same feeling of just, like, the dread and just the death and just the feeling. And I just – I felt this energy all around me. Um, and I I didn't know what to do. I, I started getting really freaked out. So I was just looking online. Um, and I just searched in, like, exactly what was happening. And I'm looking at, you know, all this religious stuff coming up. And I'm just like, all right, whatever. Like, I'll, I'll try anything. Um so I went into this thing, and, and it was just, like, explaining, like, these, these dark energies, like, whatever, from other other planes of existence, and the, the lower-tier dark energies will, like, try to, like, come through, and, and all this kind of stuff, and um, you have to, like, say, and obviously I'm not religious at all, but it was, like, 
um, so you have to just keep saying the word Jesus over and over and over again, and just keep saying Jesus, 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 and just sit there and just keep saying it, like say it in your head, say it out loud, however you got to do it. So I was like, all right, whatever. So I did that for like 10 minutes, and then it stopped. Um, hmm. Obviously, I don't know if that was placebo effect or whatever, but mm-hmm. it was just a super weird situation that happened to me twice with weird stuff happening in between. And then after that, it never happened again. How long ago was that? Um, that was when I was in my old apartment, and I've been in my new house for two and a half years, so probably like four years ago. Mm. Wow. Yeah, those synchronicities are cool. I've, I've experienced that. I think that Buddhism, which I practice, I think that Buddhism um, makes um, metaphysical space for this sort of phenomenon. Like, I think Buddhism teaches that everything in this world is all-encompassing, and we we grow out of this universe like a flower rather than like the Judeo-Christian view where like God makes you like an object separate from God. Um, so I think that like Buddhist doctrine tries to show people that the world is all-encompassing and, and mutually co-arising is something that is a Buddhist phrase, uh, kind of like two mirrors looking at each other, but I, I think that the conservation of energy dictates that we are all from one thing. We are all one thing. This is all an illusion. We're all actually one thing. Like we're growing off the back of God or we're inside the mind of God or however you need to uh, contextualize it. But, yeah, I think that, like, when you see the ones and eights, um, I think that's just you, like, tapping into that pattern and going back to what makes us all the same. Like I feel like that's how trees probably feel or how earthworms or rocks, like, they probably just feel interconnected with everything. And just that feeling when you see the ones and eights and you, you feel like you're not so separate from the rest of the world, I feel like that's what they more less conscious energies feel. Um, but, and, and then also with your Jesus thing, um, I've thought about that too. And I'm, I'm, I guess I'm agnostic on the um, spirit thing, but like, Maybe Jesus actually is the Son of God, but as a Buddhist, I don't really believe in that. But I could believe, like, Jesus, like, Muhammad taught that Jesus was a prophet, and, like, a lot of people think Jesus is a really powerful spiritual being, so maybe Jesus is fighting that spiritual battle for you. Or um, there's, like, a Jungian archetype, and Jesus has become powerful because of the collective unconscious power that we give it. And so you're kind of using the unconscious power that this, structure has become in the world or it's just like you said placebo and you're and by repeating that you know that it's a powerful thing based on collective unconscious so like um it builds that that confidence or that wall inside of you or it builds up your resolve um anyway those are my theories on all that yeah could also be the linguistic aspect of it like um oh how words are just like vibrations so maybe a certain pattern of letters and words can do make something happen in the metaphysical. Yeah, like a sacred geometry, like a chant. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. And yeah. you notice how, like, every religion had exorcists and witchcraft, and every religion had dark, had magic, so to speak, and spells. And you see how, like, throughout the years, religion has systematically stripped out all of those things uh, from every religion. You don't talk about exorcisms anymore. And... A lot of, going back to the conspiracy thing, a lot of people point to that and say, see, 
this stuff is really powerful. It's gone underground. Only the elites use it. And so they've, they've said, no, no, that's ridiculous. There's no such thing as exorcisms or, or spirits. And while they're hoarding all the power that way. And so, again, like, it's plausible. Like, I don't know. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, that could be the Illuminati secret. It's a, yeah, it's a, yeah, exactly. And that's, dude, that's where adrenochrome is, is like this fucking thing they say. It's a hormone that's in blood, that's in human blood or ch- children's blood or something. It makes people go crazy. And, like, warlords in Africa talk about it. And, like, that goes back to Pizzagate. Like, a whole bunch of weird, like, the occult mixing that sex magic, they call it. Um, Blood and, sex magic. And, and like... If it's if it is if it if there is magic and magic is real and ghosts are real then like that's weird and and fucked up that like you're still fucking kids or drinking their blood and if there's not then you're just a fucking insane person who's fucking kids and drinking their blood like either way no bueno dude like there's no excuse I don't care how good it tastes how powerful you get no excuse for that kind of behavior <laughs> I think I'm I don't think I'm saying anything earth shattering but. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, what kind of power could it give you that, like, pharmaceutical drugs can't? It's got to be, it's got to be ghost power, bro. There's got to be this ghost shit. But, like, I don't care. I don't care how powerful the ghost shit is. Stop drinking kid blood. Not cool. Not down for that. I'd rather have, I heard this one, I heard this about this, um, this free camp that people live in. This kind of, like, socialist utopia bullshit in Canada where all these hippies live. This one dude said it very poetically. This dumb stoned hippie, he goes, I'd rather we all suffer a little bit than some of us suffer a lot. And I thought that was yeah. like, really beautiful. He was like, we all suffer a little bit, so nobody has to suffer a lot. I'm like, what a so fucking me, human being. So, so, so let me ask you this. If drinking kid blood allowed you to fly and have telekinetic powers, would you drink it? Um, me? For me? How many kids would I have to fuck? Hmm. Let's say you had to fuck. Let's say you had to fuck one kid and drink one kid's blood. I don't think I could. Could I? I no, I don't think I would be able to do that. So what would be your what would be your threshold for fucking one kid and drinking another kid's? Let's just say let's let's take out the kid fucking because it gets weird. Let's just say the blood. So let's say, let's just say, let's let's say you have to drink one pint of a a child's blood and you are now able to fly and have telekinetic power one week. Um, no, no, I don't I, I don't I don't care about personal superpowers. Like if you were like if we were able to build some type of utopian society based on me drinking blood and murdering a few like if I have to murder a select few or make a few go through torturous pain it really depends on how many we're talking, you know? So what, what's your threshold limit? Are we talking like five, torture and kill five kids? I, need, I, think, I, need, like, I think I need like I think I need like a 100x return on my investment, if that makes sense. Like, the way we have it now where 25% of our planet doesn't have clean water and like a fifth of our planet is starving, like, that's not a good number. Like, that's not enough suffering to support everybody else, to make it worth supporting everybody else, you know? Right. That's that's a that's a four to one. Yeah. So then the thing is, like, I wouldn't 
I wouldn't take the, the kiss fucking or the drinking blood or any circumstance because I don't think that any of these things solve the problems I actually want to solve. Like, like if you're telling me that drinking the blood of kids would somehow create a socialist utopia that I dream about, like, yeah, let's do it. But I don't think that's really going to happen. <laughs> right. But that's an interesting <laughs> question. I, it's a good, th- a good, super weird thought experiment that most people would probably find appalling. Yeah, how many must die so we all may live? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, back to the ghost thing. I remember I do. Okay, I pretty recently I had one legit like, oh, this is not normal. This is paranormal, if you will. See what I did there? Um, so I was making these GoPro videos for my website, um, Grow Your Purpose. And I'm, I'm re-jiggering the website, by the way, but you can still get all the podcasts on there. Um, and so I was making I was making a little video, probably like an intro video, and uh, I'm in I'm in my old apartment, and I'm the only one there. And behind me, there's like a there's clearly an orb. When I say something like grow or help or like some super positive word, there's an orb. This really ball uh, bright ball of light that starts, like, in the corner of the room and, like, zooms. Like, it, it just zooms up towards my, like, into my head, like, to my temple and comes, like, closer into the frame, like, towards the camera. It was so cool. It originated, like, in the curtains behind me and came towards Whoa. me. And um, and I looked at it, like, five or ten times. And I'm like, Eva, come here. I was like, you saw that, right? Like, you're seeing this? She's like, yeah, I see that. I was like, that's like a big-ass orb, right? She's like, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. I just want to make sure I'm not, like, the only one seeing this. And I think Eva saw, like, some weird pictures, like, when she was a kid that were weird. But, like, Eva's so pragmatic. She's like, unless it helps poor people, I don't really care. <laughs> like, she's, so, she's, like, she's so agnostic, I think. She's like, yeah, it might be. But unless it's helping affordable housing, I really don't have time. That's, like, her whole right. fucking thing. It's hilarious. So, I've also heard that the orbs are uh, light reflections off of dust in the frame. Yeah, this one was pretty intense. I mean, yeah. it could be digital video. Yeah, like, digital video does weird shit. You know, it tries sometimes. There are factors that make it, I think, like, the camera guesses or something. Like, you know? Right, yeah. Like, the camera thinks blind something's happening that's not. But fuck that noise, bro. I don't know about that. Yeah. Yeah, because it was on video. It wasn't just it wasn't just like a camera shot. It was on video. So, hmm. and I've taken like hundreds of videos from different angles. I mean, yeah, who knows? But once again, that's why I like Eva's pragmatic approach. Like, listen, stupid. Unless it's about resource dispersal, I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> unless you're right. unless you're haunting me about about rent, then. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's what is that's what is different departments. There's got to be people who care about things in different departments. Mm-hmm. And this is what I tell my friend, um, my friend Jono, who's a flatter guy, and he's really a, just a questioner kind of person. Um, I tell him like, if it's true, then it goes hand in hand with resource allocation and and hoarding of resources and oppression that has gone on politically and physically. If, if it's true, it goes hand in hand with this. If it's not true, then this is a distraction from the resource. Either way, 
going back to the, the issues and talking about things politically and socially and in the realm of, like, quantifiable reality, like, that's always the way to go because it would address this weird problem, to be honest, um, yeah. I think. And and so I also, like, I, I think counterintelligence is a big thing, and, and um, I think if you're a billionaire banker and you don't want people to talk about the issue, which is that you're greedy – I think if you're a billionaire banker, you would love for people to be talking about kid fucking and flat earths and ghosts. And they're like, yeah, yeah, keep talking about all that shit. Don't talk about me and how I make money no matter what, doing nothing, you know? Yeah, doing nothing. They do fuck, they, they, they count money and they take a cut for themselves. These insurance people, too, they figure out how much it costs to give you reasonable insurance. And then they take an extra cut for themselves. Like they're just—it's a—it's a—it's a kickback, is what it is. Yeah, we need that single payer real quick. Yeah, like it's essentially yeah, 350 million citizens collectively saying like, "Ah, we'd rather pay 30 percent less for this X-ray." And then saying, saying like, "What? You, what are you going to do? Not take our business? Stupid? Of course you are." So yeah, yeah. be nice. I have no insurance. I haven't had insurance since I was 27. Yeah. Yeah. That was about tough. five years ago. I hear you. It's rough. Tough flooding. Yep. No safety. Hey, if I gotta die, if I gotta go to the hospital, just call me an Uber. Hmm. Dude, the, uh, you'll be safer. If you ever come on vacation with me and we're in Europe, you'll be, you'll be safer there. You, know, you don't you pay. Know, so, Something happens. Yeah, even if you're not a citizen. Right? Yeah. See, over here, what we really need is instead of an ambulance, they just start having Uber lenses. So it's just like an Uber, but you get a light on the top so you can go a little bit faster and blow red lights. Uber. <laughs> yeah. um, I gotta talk to you about something. Is it related to Uber lenses? No, it's related to Jordan Peterson. Oh, okay. <laughs> Got to get your thoughts in 2018 about Jordan Peterson. Can you tell me your, your personal journey towards him? Yeah, I mean, it, it all started very innocently. Um, uh, he was getting a whole bunch of bad press, and I had never heard of him before. Um, this was probably like maybe like a year ago. Um, and I just kept hearing all this stuff about you, how he was, like, part of the alt-right and the transphobe and all this kind of stuff, um, and then on the Joe Rogan podcast, and just everything he said seemed super reasonable. Um, he was like, yeah, I'm a clinical psychologist and an evolutionary biologist. Like, I'm just going to give you a bunch of, like, facts that science has agreed on without my opinion. And, like, if you get mad at me for that, then, like, I don't know what to tell you. And he's, like, this is, he's, like, this, like, talking about, like, transgender issues, he's, like, that's not even really my deal. He's, like, I'm more of a motivational speaker. He's, like, um, he has this uh, this class that he teaches called Maps of Meaning. Um, and it's just all about getting your life in order and right. taking responsibility. Um, one big thing that he says to do is just when you get up in the morning, make your bed. Because if, if you can't make your bed, how can you criticize anybody else to do anything? He's like, get up, you make your bed, and that's the first 
small victory of the day, and like that leads you on to your next accomplishment, and all like a lot of stuff like that. Um, right. So that's that's pretty much how I got into him was just listening to all of his motivational speeches. Not even that I really needed a motivational speaker. I just found uh, the way that he presented his information very interesting and very fact based um, mm-hmm. and very objective. Uh, and he's just super duper smart, and I admire people who are so smart that they don't even have to think about being smart, you know? Mm, yeah. And I think that's the like, thing about motivational speakers. Like, you never you never know what it is that's going to make you love that that speech, and it's sometimes not what you expect, but, like, and, and it could be very similar to another person who's saying similar things, but for some reason you you vibe more. Like, that's what I find that interesting about motivational speaking in general, but I think it's hard to put your finger on. Right. You can, you can definitely be attracted to different kinds of speakers, and everybody's got their favorites. Some people like Robbins, um, who I've never really listened to. Um, my dad was a big Zig Ziglar guy, who I think was more like a business-oriented motivational speaker. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't really know too much about him, but I definitely know the name. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I've listened to. I don't know if I've listened to a hundred hours of Jordan Peterson talks and stuff, but he has every single one of his lectures that he's ever given online. Um, That's cool. And he's like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, listen. He's like, there's so many people trying to take me down. If I had said something horrible, they would have found it, and I would already be out of the limelight. He's like, but, yeah, he's like, but, he's like, I'm not trying to hurt anybody. He's like, I just, I'm just presenting the facts of what scientific study has shown and trying to make, um, build bridges to other topics using that information without, without giving my opinion, without forming opinions, just, you know, let the, let the information speak for itself. And that's, that's what I really like about him. Um, because, uh, one, one thing I love, uh, from, uh, the Kansas song, Dust in the Wind, if I claim to be a wise man, it surely means that I don't know. Like, people who think they know everything are usually the people who know the least. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's one thing. And I, I remember you saying to me one point, like, don't you think he's arrogant? And I've listened to so many hours of him speaking that it's just like, if, even if he was in front of no one, he would still be talking the same way and talking about things the same way just to himself. It's just like the way that he speaks and just, he like thinks through things with speech. Um, and he's mm-hmm. so smart that it just comes off as arrogant. Um, but, but yeah, it's, uh, he's, I've never really looked at anyone like him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I just find him very fascinating. Yeah, I do like how he's so, transparent like he it's funny how he used the word trans but he's so like you said all his lectures are online like he seems to be interested in talking with anybody and everybody and saying like yep. I will fully expose myself um, and so I, I really like that um, yeah I think I think you're better than this <laughs> quite frankly but <laughs> But but this goes back to the motivational speaking I don't think is quantitative. I don't think you could say this guy is 12 motivation and this guy is only 11 motivation because right. we're, motiv- we're motivated by different things that go beyond the, the – some two people can be presenting the same facts, but the way they present it could appeal differently to us. So I wouldn't 
fault you for that, but to me, he has, like, a real 50s dad vibe, 1950s dad. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Like, the, I watch his lectures, and he's like, the first rule is, is, yeah, your posture. You need to have your posture. You have to stand up straight because there's chaos to address, and there's order to create, <laughs> and you have to face the day. And I'm like, who the fuck are, I'm a 32-year-old man, and you're telling, like, and, and it's like, and then I hear some of these, these people who are inspired by him, and it's like, it's a bunch of fucking insults, dude. Like, you are better than this. <laughs> but it's just like, like, and I watch videos about my posture, and it's about um, anterior pelvic tilt, and it's about, like, learning how to roll my shoulders back, and I'm trying to, like, functionally improve my posture. But Man, I, don't need some, I don't need some dude, like, telling me that, like, straighten out your posture, young man, and clean up your room. And it's like, dude, I've been cleaning my room forever. Like, I don't know. I just, I don't. You, you also got to understand that you also got to understand that we, the two of us, are definitely in the minority of people because most people are fucking idiots. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I work in hospitality. I work in, in hospitality, in uh, as in I work in the restaurant industry, customer service, I should say, and like the amount of just people who I'm like, how are you functional in society? You know what I mean? Like people who just I always think that there's a ceiling of how mad someone can get about one piece of food at one meal. But, like, there is no ceiling. People can get so mad about a steak. You know what I mean? Or, like, an overdone, like, piece of chicken. And, like, you know there's people dying and being murdered and tortured and raped all over the world. And, like, dude, I'm sorry your steak is a little overdone, but I can definitely get you a new steak without you yelling at me, you know, like, come on, other humans, like, you know what I mean, that I'm interacting with, like, please, like, just fucking give me a break, and I see so much of that, so I always take that into the account, most people are not delving into the information realm as hard and for as long as we have, um, not saying that there's not a lot of intellectuals, and I'm not even justifying myself as an intellectual, but compared to most people, I would say I'm an intellectual, and I would think that you are as well. Um, but the, w one thing, before I listen to Jordan Peterson, um, I mean, I'm definitely a cynical nihilist in a lot of ways. You know, what I mean? like it just it happens as you get older. Um, so a lot of his talks are just about finding meaning and like making purpose. And one of the things that he says a lot is that you create meaning in your life. Uh, by adopting responsibilities. Uh, and I just, you know, I, I thought about that for a while because, you know, I'm a musician. I I have cats, but, you know, that's about it. And I don't have that many responsibilities in my life. But every time that I have taken on some sort of responsibility or job, it definitely adds to my the experience of, you know, just living day to day and just having things to do and just accomplishing things, you know, if I'm, you know, running a music festival or playing a show or making my bed in the morning, you know what I mean? It's just do something. Because if you do nothing, then you're definitely not going to find meaning, you know? Yeah. No, that that all makes sense. And maybe um, in a few years, like, maybe I'll be at a different point where I will like hearing that better. Like, like once again, it's not quantifiable. It's more qualitative. So, um, yeah, I, it's... It's 
fine. It's just not for me, that, that portion of, of his work. Um, the other thing I'm not a fan of with Jordan Peterson is he is very Christian or Judeo-Christian in his thinking. Do you find that at all? Well, he did um, an actual class called Bible Studies, but the way that he teaches it, he doesn't teach it in a religious manner. He teaches it in, like, the West, Western civilization is based on Judeo-Christian values because that's what has been around. So what he says is, like, you have to understand where we came from in order to be able to move towards the future. So he's like, listen to the stories in the Bible. He's like, he and he, he goes out of his way to call them myths and stories. You know what I mean? Um, which I always find endearing because he's like, listen, obviously, like, this stuff didn't happen. But, like, just listen to the story because these stories are ancient. And they're not, they weren't just created in Christianity. A lot of them are way older than that and are retellings in, like, a Christian format of the same stories that humanity has been telling for millennia. So he's like, even if you don't believe in a God or any, any of this stuff, he's like, listen to the stories because they will tell you your own history. Um, yes, but he also thinks that God is good. Like, inherent, like I've heard him say that, like, this is like the death of God. He, he views the death of God as something, like, really undesirable. So, so to me, that means that he likes monotheism. Like, he, I think he believes that belief in God makes you more moral, and, like, we need this, and that this is, like, a powerful thing that is good. And I disagree with him on that, you know. And that's a little bit of my bias because I grew up Christian and I don't like it. But I just think yeah, he's right. a little—he's—he's he's a little too in in the the Western Judeo-Christian mindset. Like he can't escape that mindset because he grew up in it. And so to me, that's a little like, ah. yeah. I mean, out of all of the many hours that I've watched of his stuff, a very small portion has talked about. God, gotcha. Interesting. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't even really. Uh, nothing is really coming to mind right now of him like referencing like him even like believing in God. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and sorry to interrupt you. I want to give you an example of Christian versus like Western versus Eastern mindset, like Judeo-Christian right. versus like Buddhist and Hindu mindset. He thinks that cleaning your room is better than not cleaning your room empirically. He puts cleaning your room, he puts order over chaos. And that's like a very Christian way, that's a very Western way of looking at things. Like, this is better than that. This is more advanced. It's the same reason why Judeo-Christians go to other cultures and say you're a savage, I think. Um, And I think what, in, in Buddhist thought, you're encouraged to think about why you're, like, I know he goes next level and he explains why, but I think... The value in Christianity is that you clean your room, and the value in Buddhism is that you think about why you clean your room. Whether you clean it or not is not as important. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Because in Buddhism, uh, half the time, your Buddhist teacher is going to argue that not cleaning your room is more advanced. And, like, the whole point of Buddhism is to confuse you. Up is down, left is right. Like, because those are just constructs. It's like two sides of the same coin. It's just one coin. You've just divided it into two sides arbitrarily kind of thing. Um, So anyway, that's what I mean by like he has, I think his thought is Judeo-Christian in that it's like hierarchical and it's 
potentially authoritarian. Like, he um, he wants that room clean. But whatever. Again, that's just my personal taste. Like, that's fine. Like, I I understand. I clean my room every day. I mean, I live with Eva, who's a neat freak. So, like, I understand the value. It does make me feel better. I hate messiness. What I really want to get into, though, with this person is the trans situation. How do you feel about his treatment of, or what he, how he feels about transgender vocabulary, I guess? Yeah, I mean, his whole thing is about speech. It's different in Canada than it is in the United States because Canada doesn't have freedom of speech the way that the United States has, has freedom of speech. Um, it's, not, it's not a right in Canada for freedom of speech. It's just kind of agreed upon. But if legislation were to come into play that would infringe upon that, it would not be as easy to defeat it as it would be in the United States because you say, oh, freedom of speech, I'll say whatever I want. So that's where it gets a little bit tricky and a lot of people, and I didn't, I didn't know that until I heard him talk about that. Because um, I was like, yeah, freedom of speech, like nobody can tell you to say anything. He's like, well, in Canada it's different. Like the United States is really the only place in the world that truly has freedom of speech, protected by the government, whatever yeah. that means. That is um, yeah, yeah, so that kind of puts an entirely different spin on it. Um, so, that, now, that, yeah. Right. The thing is, I he's not, he admits that he's not a legal scholar. He's like a psychologist. Which I find funny because I think he's falling into some some like psychological pitfalls here, like denial and projection. Um, but he's not he's not a legal scholar, and so I would trust like I would take a hundred legal scholars, and if seventy of them have one opinion and thirty have the other, I will trust the seventy, because the law is also the law is weird because the law is not set; it's, it's breathing and living, and it's up for interpretation. So, kind of depending on who's in charge that will dictate whether something is the law or not. So that's a point in Jordan's favor. Like, he's afraid of authoritarianism. He's afraid of a corruption of, of a good law, of something that's supposed right. to be good. Um, right. But he's not a legal scholar, and most legal scholars disagree with him. And also, I, there are anti-discrimination laws like this, in other countries around the world, not just the U.S. where we have freedom of speech, but like countless European countries and other places around the world have anti-discrimination laws. And it's like, and uh, I, 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 I should send you this clip of this, uh, when Jordan Peterson was on Jim Jeffrey's show. Did you see that by any chance? Um, yes. It was cool because they, they didn't. Well, he ends up saying maybe I was wrong about that. Yeah, exactly. Because it was yeah. about because it, it was another anti-discrimination law against about black people, and he was saying like, there's a case in in Colorado where a person refused to make a cake for a gay couple, and he was like, do you think that's right? And and he was like, I don't think that's right, but I think that it should be legal, or something like that. And right. He was, and then Jim Jeffries was like, "Well, what if they were black? If they were, if which, is that cake maker allowed to refuse to make a cake for black people?" And he was like, "Yeah." He was like, "No, I don't think so." And he was like, "Well, that used to be allowed, and then we made a law, and so now they're not allowed to do that." And he was like, "Okay, maybe you're right," which was fantastic. Jordan, obviously, a smart adult, is like, "Yeah, I should. That's a great point. I have to think about that." 
Um, yeah, yeah, that's what, that's what I love, because he's always willing to do that. Yeah, but I, that's why I think he should shut up about that. I, I think he needs to change his course. I think he needs to change course on this, because there are countless anti-discrimination laws around the world that are just like this. And also, this is simply aligning the country with Toronto's code, or it's aligning Toronto's code with the country, or something like that. Like, it was pretty, like he's already, he's already, like, um, compelled under under this law on like the federal level and they were just matching it or something like that um and then also my final point possibly my final point laws that are intended to protect vulnerable populations are almost never used and possibly never i don't i think they're almost never used for authoritarian means and that's like often a scare like the slippery slope scare tactic um, I don't think holds water, like, historically or legally. Um, I think that laws to protect vulnerable populations almost never are used or are almost never exploited because it's so much easier to just make an exploitative law. Like, it's so much easier for evil people to just go out of their way and do evil shit than for them to take a law that's good and to, like, fumble it around and make it bad and, like, I don't know. I kind of this is what I think a lot of I've heard a lot of legal legal scholars say. So like he's not a legal scholar, so I don't trust him as much. That's my whole thing. Okay. He, he pretends to be a, an expert. He's like, yeah, trust other people. And then he ends up getting in these like big arguments where like he's not trying to to make people feel bad, but he is making people feel really bad. Like he's making people feel vulnerable, and it's not his intention, but. I think you do need to weigh that. Like, unintentional pain inflicted on others throughout this process, I think, is a factor. Yeah. One example that he gave, he said, okay, so let's let's imagine in a hypothetical situation that there's a, a gender-fluid person in his class, someone who um, changes from male to female randomly, and when they're a male... When they feel like they're male, they want to be called he, but when they feel like they're female, they want to be called she. Um, he said, with this law, if they, you know, switch over from feeling like a male to a female, and I address them as male, I could be sued and fined. And if I don't pay the fine, then I could be jailed. Right, and he's afraid, but that's never going to happen. Like, he thinks, he, like, the, the other thing is, Eva brought this up, like, he thinks he lives in a perfect world, like, where things need to be perfect, and we live in an imperfect world, and so sometimes we need imperfect laws to protect people, but, like, that's never going to happen. Like, when does he think that, like, this is what I mean by his, he's not thinking about his psychology, like, people don't, transgendered people don't behave like that, um, and so, and, and also if somebody was trying to, like, mock transgender people by, like, doing it as a parody or doing it to try and fuck with Jordan Peterson, like, it's going to get thrown out of court. Like, lawyers and judges are serious people, and, like, they don't have time for this bullshit. And they're and I'm telling you, like, that's never going to happen. <laughs> like, you know? I, I just don't yeah. see that ever happening. That's paranoia. That's, like, real paranoia. And also, he's like, he's like, what, a 55 or 50-year-old white dude who lives in Canada, and he's a professor? Like, why is he so, he is not a vulnerable population. He's not a person at risk 
um, speaking well, he's a uh, a lot of his career has been studying totalitarian societies. Um, a lot of like Hitler, Stalin, Lenin. Yeah. Um, he has a huge amount of uh, knowledge about that kind of stuff. And right, and they never made laws protecting vulnerable groups. They made laws like oppressing people. You know, like but they didn't make laws. Like, they didn't make laws compelling speech. Yeah, like you can sniff it. Yeah, but you could sniff out anti-Semitism pretty easily. Like, I think it's really easy to sniff out authoritarianism versus progressivism. Like, this is collective action. Like, most people want this. It's not. It's not like a, a, a secret group of like a few elites that are determining transgender law. Like, this is a grassroots movement. You know. Yeah. Like, that's not, I don't think that's authoritarian. And, like, yeah, like, Hitler never protected, oh, oh I, I, think that's, I think that's ridiculous. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I get he studied authoritarianism, but, ah, pretty sure Hitler never did anything to, like, protect transgender people. Well, it's, it's not, it has nothing to do with that. It's just a compelled speech. It's just a different... Right, different form of compelled speech for whatever your purpose is. But again, the vast majority of his work has nothing to do with that. Mm -hmm. And I mean, when, when that all happened, he made a YouTube video about it, and obviously it exploded and he became, you know, world famous. But he never expected that to happen. Obviously, how could you? Um, yeah, I think the fact that he doesn't back down or the fact that he doesn't at least say, like, listen, I'll leave this to the legal experts or, or something like that, um, I don't know, I think that's selfish. Like, I think you know, like I, I think it's made him famous and it's made him rich, and he wants to keep doing it. Um, I mean, like I said, that's that's not even really what he talks about in any of his, his talks. I mean, when he goes on, like, TV shows, like, obviously they ask him about that, but if you're just looking at his, like, his pay, like, if you go and pay to see him, like, speak, like, he's generally not talking about that. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I would I would think that he makes a lot more money now than he used to to be paid to talk. Oh, yeah. Because people, people know him now. Yeah, definitely. So, I think he enjoys that. Yeah, he's super and famous I, now. And I think, and and he, I don't think he does enough to like condemn the alt right and Nazis. And this is the other thing. There is this one quote where it's like, "I'm not saying he's an anti-Semite. I'm saying the anti-Semites are saying he's an anti-Semite." Um, that was, uh, I think, a quote about Trump. Yeah, it's like I'm not saying Trump's an anti-Semite. It's that the anti-Semites call uh, say that he is. And yeah. so Jordan Peterson is like beloved by these rabble-rousers, by trolls, you know, who just want to yeah. troll out. And he doesn't do – when he says, he's like, I don't like Nazis. I don't like them. It's like, dude, you're not clarifying. Like, you're kind of just flippant, like being pretty flippant about this whole thing. Um, in – I mean, I, I've watched so many hours of his stuff that, like, I just I – don't, I don't think that he is – any part of that kind of move. No, I don't think so either. I think he's a liberal. Like, I think he's progressive. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much what he describes himself as. Yeah. I mean, he's Canadian. He's 
got to be more progressive than most Americans, and he's a professor, and he seems, yeah, like, really, uh, he seems really liberal, but I, it's just like, ah, I think he's on the losing team. I just think in 40 years, like, we'll look back and be like, man, that guy really was holding us back. Like, I don't see us in 40 years being like, man, remember those transgender laws that were, are now, like, enslaving us? <laughs> really don't see that happening. Like, man, yeah, but again, that's like, but again, that's like 0.5 percent of his total content. Is yes, but it's 95 percent of his fame, and and not, I think not anymore. Not anymore, though. Not anymore, though. Like that's what that's what got him famous. But what kept him famous is having a hundred hours of his lectures online, and you know, going on podcasts and talking about just self help, basically. Yeah, I don't think that's what's keeping him famous. But I think that's what's like. Yeah, I think he. I think he gets eyeballs on him for the transgender thing, and then people stick around for the the self help because he doesn't make money on the transgender thing. Because, like you said, it's not his thing. He just gets eyeballs from it, and then he charges you for the telling you to walk with your back straight or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like, he doesn't go on and specifically talk about it, but if people ask him about it, he's like, all right, I'll tell you what I, like, what I have seen or whatever. He's just such a dad. His whole body. <laughs> you don't have to face the day. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's definitely a dad. Such a nerd. I, and that's why he's fine. Like, he's really harmless, but, like, he's hurting. A lot of people's feelings are getting hurt. <laughs> and he's like, I don't mean it. It's like, ah, but it's happening. <laughs> Do you like uh, Sam Harris? Not really. I find him very boring. I just, I like, I'll start listening to him, and within, like, a minute and a half, I'm just like, I can't listen to him talk anymore. <laughs> I really don't even know that much about him. I just can't listen to him. I just find him so boring. I kind of agree, because it's like... Like, to go from to go from Jordan Peterson, who's so passionate, to, like, Sam Harris, who's, like, monotone and, like, fucking, like, so boring. Right. And he's giving you, like, the necessary background of whatever he's going to get into. But you're like, oh, I have to listen to 15 minutes of this? Like, really? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I just, I, I get a, I get a lot of, I get a lot of input from the white men in the U.S. And that's fine. I'm, like, I'm fully knowledgeable on our perspective. So it's yeah. fine. I watched the Sam movie. Sam also hates Muslims. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well Islam, anyway. See, I don't like I don't like any I think religions suck. So yep, I don't like any pretty much. And um I think it was Sam Harris and um uh Shapiro, Ben Shapiro, I think I was watching them two talk. Or it might have been Jordan Peterson and Ben Shapiro. I don't know, like Ben Shapiro is like a a, a right wing guy, a Fox News guy. Yeah. Fox News Jew. Yeah. Yeah, 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 he's the token Jew. He's the one, he says that, he's the one who gets on, he's like, transgender, being transgender is a mental illness. It's as simple as that. And he's like super, super articulate. And another guy, like Jordan, not, he's like Jordan Peterson in this one way, in that he will go on any forum and talk about anything and be completely transparent, but he's like right-wing. Um, but he's like really spewing poison, like that trans, being transgendered is a mental illness and and a whole bunch of shit like that. But, um... I was yeah, it's pretty like that. Like, it's not, it's not an illness, it's just a skew. You know what I mean? It's just like a 
a different way that the brain could be set up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It is Just like everything. It is in the DSM-5, the, di- the diagnostic uh, manual or whatever for yeah. mental health. It's, but it's not listed as a, it's not listed as a, a mental health disorder or whatever um, or an illness. Um, and even I were talking about this. It essentially has to be in the DSM in order for the transition to be covered by insurance. Because like technically, uh. like technically to to get healthcare, there needs to be something wrong with you, quote unquote. Like right. <laughs> and so like it ha- there has to be a diagnosable thing that you have in order for you to get um, the, the treatment. So I thought, I thought that was, like, an interesting – it goes back to, like, healthcare in this country and more of, like, an insurance kind of technicality. But anyway. It's like a loophole, um, yeah. Yeah, and uh, being being gay, I think, is uh, could be, like, a genetic – a programmed genetic thing to keep populations in check or, it's, or a programmed or, – or it's beneficial for us socially somehow well i think i think homosexuality is is um is pretty standard across like species like it's like the same percentage of every of most species is homosexuals like what is it like like 10 percent of like the population or something like that yeah yeah i think i've heard that that makes sense yeah yeah Mm -hmm. so just like is it's all part of it Mm mm-hmm um, I, uh, this brings me to an interesting thing of nature versus nurture. Um, and I, we may have talked about this in terms of, uh, this documentary, Three Identical Strangers, where they broke up three kids at birth, three twins. Right. Yeah, we talked about to that. See, yeah, to see how their socialization might change them, if their mom had mental illness, to see if the kids have had mental illness. And it, mm-hmm. it was flaw, tons of flaws. This experiment was never going to yield any meaningful results. But it was it, it was an interesting hypothesis of like, you know, is mental illness uh, genetic or is it nurture or is it a little bit of both? And I was talking with Eva about how I think this is a flawed premise overall because um, epigenetics is such a new thing, but epigenetics is how genes can be turned on or activated um, or deactivated and if over over time and through generations genes can activate and be, behave in diff- express themselves in different ways um, and so like what your grandmother ate could affect your digestive tract now which is fucking crazy um, and that's how your environment, because what your grandmother put in her body environment-wise, turned into na- nurture, turned into nature. It changed her gene code, which she then passed on to you. And so, like, right. the nurture informs the nature, and the nature informs the nurture, because it's our nature to seek out sweet foods, you know, or whatever. Um and so I just find that fascinating. And this goes back to Buddhism of the mutual co-arising. Nature and nurture come out of each other. You can't, it's not nature versus nurture. It's nature and nurture. And it's really both. And um, Absolutely. And so I think, like, uh, women are, are not as good at basketball as men because they can't grow as tall or as strong. 
but also they're not taught to have the hand-eye coordination because women aren't encouraged to do that. So, like, I think if a woman starts doing that and then she has a kid, like, it, it would then inform that and then they would get better at basketball. Interesting. So, like, yeah, there is some nature involved with why women aren't as good, but there's also some nurture involved. And the nurture can actually change the nature. You can You can physically change who women are as a species through a couple of generations of teaching them to dribble better. Anyway, there was a recent um, mouse study that they did, and they gave uh, antidepressants to mice, and they found that the antidepressant use was, like, changed the genes or whatever three generations down the line. Whoa. Like, for the better? Yeah. Um, just, just neutrally, just in, in general, like, huh. the, like, their genes were changed. Three, uh, like over, like up to three generations down the line from taking antidepressants. Like oh that God. is wild. Yeah, that's crazy, right? And it's great because we, now we can real truly blame our parents for everything. Like fucking, it was my mom and dad. What do you want from me? I'm my fault. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Damn hippies. <laughs> right. <laughs> I uh, I I bought a 23 in May. Speaking of genetics. Oh, you did it! Fucking did it, bro. It was uh, a big discount. Whoa! Let's talk about that right now. Big discount for Black Friday. So um, I didn't get the results yet, but pretty much uh, oh. you, you pay him a ton of money. I, it was only 120 bucks. Usually it's 200 bucks, but I got the Black Friday deal. That's that's not bad. That's not bad at all. Now the government has all of your your genome. Oh, dude, I'm so done. My my sister was like, "Oh, now they can get you for murder," and I'm like. I'm like, or clear me. Like, why do you have to assume that I'm committing the murder? Can't you assume uh, that gonna, I'm the wrongly accused? <laughs> they're going to clone the shit out of you, bro. There's going to be a hundred of you super soldier AJs running around. That's what you call a mistake. Anybody who's, who's cloning me has not done their research. <laughs> <laughs> that is a skin-deep approach. Anyway, um, yeah, so, so uh, they send me the thing. It's like a, a tube that you spit in, you know? Yeah. So out of your saliva, they're like, hey, there are dead cells in your saliva. We're going to take those dead cells, do some Jurassic Park type shit, I can only imagine, and, um, yeah, come out with, with my paleo. So I'll get, the, I'll get the ancestry report, which is mildly interesting. But then I'll get, like, the health report, too, which I'm psyched about. Yeah, definitely. See what see what uh, stuff you're predisposed to. Yeah, see how I'm gonna die. Yeah, right. See exactly how. Wow, Alzheimer's great. But um, yeah, looks like I have an 89% chance. Oh shit. But then what I'm gonna do is uh, I take it over to Dr. Rhonda Patrick. And uh, oh. yes, and we do a little analysis, if you will. So um, I pay once I get like the genetic report, then I go to. Dr. Rhonda Patrick's website, and I pay her 10 bucks, and she crunches it, and she um, lets me know, like, you you shouldn't eat any bananas, and you should have, like, three avocados a day, and you have the gene for, like, that makes you, like, 30 times more likely to have Alzheimer's, so, yeah. It's only 10 bucks to do that? Yeah. Man, that's that's crazy. I mean, that's after, yeah, it's it's after the, the 120 I dropped, but, yeah. Damn. So, now, how, how accurate is all this stuff, do you know? I think it's very. 
think it's very accurate. The, the ancestry stuff is just they they find strands or or whatever that are similar to people that they find in this region. So like they'll figure out that I have a lot of Slavic in me. I, I'm, I'm estimating because my dad's side came from Albania to Italy, so I'm guessing yeah. like I'm very Slavic. But I think they just line up. They're like, okay, eight like this sequence of code is in. 85% of Slavic people, therefore you are Southern Slavic, or whatever. Right. So they do a little bit of that, but I'm pretty sure the other shit, like, it's like, no, you have this gene code. Like, you you are predisposed to this, or whatever. So, I think that's spot on. Interesting. Yeah. So I'll keep you updated, dude. I should get my results back, like, in the next, like, week or two. Oh, uh, that's awesome. Yep, psyched. Yeah, I would definitely look at Maybe in a few years, it'll be down to, like, 20 bucks, you know what I mean? And you, like, go oh, to, like, totally. a CVS, and they, like, take, like, a quick, like, you spit in the thing, and it's like, boop, 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 and it gives you all the results. Like, they're right next to the, uh, we'll check your blood pressure machine. Yeah, the blood pressure machine, yeah, like, check your DNA. Yo, am I the only one that does not trust that blood pressure machine? I just feel like it's going to, like, cut off my arms. <laughs> yeah, like, it's 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 getting tighter. It's, it's not getting looser. Yeah, Cut to the fire department fucking getting getting me out of there. Jaws of life. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Son, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to amputate your arm, but your blood pressure's looking pretty good, so I think you'll be alright. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be a weird way to show up in the obituaries. I always think about like if I'm on vacation or at a national park, I'm like, I don't wanna be the guy like two travelers died in the mountains of Morocco. Like I don't wanna be that where people are like, oh, what an idiot. I never want to be that guy. Yeah, you know, like, the death was really shitty. Like, yeah, he was out in the woods for, like, seven days, and then they found him dead. Like, you know, he did not have a good time, though, for those seven days. Yeah. Well, I, it's more I don't want to look incompetent. I'm, such, I'm so vain, Lee. Like, it's not that I died. It's that I was an idiot. <laughs> That's really what I, yeah. I don't want to look stupid. So, like, he took a wrong turn. Like, he was on a one-mile loop, and he took a wrong turn and was lost for seven days and died. Like, that's embarrassing. Now I'm dead. Down with his pants around his ankles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We could tell from the semen and tears uh, that he left. (laughs) (laughs) He gave up hope and feverishly masturbated for warmth. Yeah, yeah. What a pathetic specimen. Really pathetic (laughs) last hours. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, I don't want that, and I don't want like, like this, this, tra- this hike, this traveler was dancing on top of this rock, this boulder in in national in Arches National Park, and like this was a restricted area, and he tumbled, or like this person was taking a selfie video, you know, or like doing the drive right. in my feelings challenge, and they <laughs> oh boy, that's like the whole jo- the whole Joe Dato thing. From the, the the downfall of Penn State, where the kid he was like walking on like the roof of a building, real drunk, and fell off, and then like they yeah. traced like where he was back to the fraternity, and then like they shut down half the fraternities, kicked everybody out, and all that crazy wow. shit. Yeah. So not only are you dumb and you're dead, but like you're you're the reason like everyone is all bummed out. Their good times done. <laughs> yeah. You you collectively ruined the party culture at Penn State. Right, which which arguably, you know, probably probably for the better. But. 
Yeah, I mean, we we had no supervision. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm all for a little DMT and ayahuasca, but we were we were a little crazy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that so one never existed. Obama? Were you there when we saw Obama? That was awesome. Yeah, on the Hub Lawn, yeah. Oh, it was so dope. Steve and I were so excited. We made a whole playlist that morning. We were, like, pre-gaming, and, like, we made an Obama playlist. It's, like, 2008. We're all, we're, oh, what a great time to be an American. We made an Obama playlist. It was, like, we are family. It was just changes by Tupac on repeat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I see no changes. All I see is racist. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, yep. But we, we, it was one, uh, Ain't No Stopping Us Now. I'll never fucking Ain't No Stopping Us Now. We love that song. We're playing Ain't No Stopping Us Now. And then we're, 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 all right, let's go. Let's go to the hub lawn. We get there to see Obama's speech. And what are they playing as we walk up? Ain't No Stopping Us <laughs> Now. That's oh, amazing. God, the Obama playlist. The fucking Obama playlist. <sighs> yeah, there's snipers on the roofs of all the buildings. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, you need that shit. You gotta have those snipers. Yeah. <laughs> no. No. Yep. Well, sir, I, uh, it's, it's getting late here. You're, you're, it's a late evening for you. Yeah, it's about 1 a.m. right now. It's actually exactly 1 a.m. right now. Yeah. Well, I think that was a, that was a fun chat. Good catch up. Yeah, catch him mustard. <laughs> I was just thinking that. So uh, maybe we'll uh, do this again real soon? Let's do it. All right, sir. Well, uh, have yourself a, a good evening and a merry little Christmas, and maybe uh, <laughs> next week or sometime soon we'll, we'll get on again. Yeah, let's definitely do it. All right, buddy. See ya. Ah, see ya, bud. Well, that was the Unnecessary Podcast. I'll let Tash take us out. Until next time, see ya.